All right. Okay, so Exodus 17, 14 through 16. Yeah, we're going to go old school. Um, Exodus 17, 14 through 16. says this, and this, I'll give you a little backstory. This is um, the children of Israel. They're coming into Israel. They're coming into the promised land and God is, well, he's working their, their way through it. Let's just put it this way. It took them a while to get there. Um, anybody relate to that? Okay. Um, don't raise your hand on that one. Um, so they're coming into what God has promised them, the land that they're, you know, going to inherit and they're working their way through you know, the land, and there's a, the nation of Amalek, or the tribe of Amalek, they are the ones standing in their way. So, in this story, if you guys know this story, they go to battle with Amalek, and Moses is standing up on top of the mountain, basically, and he's watching what's going on, and he ho- he's holding his hands up, and while he is holding his hands up, what do they have? Victory. You guys need to read this, please, if you, y'all should have answered victory. <laughs> um, if you haven't read it, read it. It's a great, it's a great story, and it really shows you how God um, can use people in victory. So he's holding his hands up, and they're winning. You guys ever held your hands up for like five minutes? Yes. <laughs> Do it for a minute and see how quickly you start, your, your arms start burning. But think about this. Battles don't last five minutes, ten minutes. So Moses is doing this. And he's probably doing this, then it's this. It's, it's like the normal worship. You, first you're like this, and then my arms get tired, and then they're a little more tired, and then you're kind of like, oh, I'll just receive this way. <laughs> yeah. So Moses is, is doing this, and after a while his arms start to get tired. And Aaron and her are standing next to him. What do they do? They put a rock down on the ground, and they have him sit down. And what do they do? They come alongside him, and they hold his arms up. Because as soon as he puts his arms down, Amalek starts to win the victory. Starts to, ter- starts to beat the, the children of Israel. And as soon as they raise his hands up, what happens? They start to win again. So his fellow leaders come alongside him, and it's a great sign of, of, of leadership and supporting leadership, of leaders being there for one another. And they, what do they do? They hold his arms up, and Israel starts to win again. Think about this. He's sitting there, and he can no longer hold his arms because he's that tired. That they're, but as soon as, as someone comes alongside him and says, hey, I'm going to hold you up, and we're going to have victory. So he, they hold his arms up, and it says this in verse 14. It says, the Lord said to Moses, write this victory down. Write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty extreme right there. He goes, I'm utterly going to blot out the memory of Amalek. And Moses built an altar and called it this, the Lord, my banner, which is Jehovah Nissi, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So Moses called God. He gave God a name at that moment. It was, it was God's name already. No matter what name we've given God, like, oh, God is our victory. Yes, and God's like, I know, I am your victory. That's a name I've already been. You're just recognizing the name. I, I'm, you're, he's, Moses got the revelation of what God's name was at that moment. And so he calls him the Lord, my banner, Jehovah Nissi. This is the story where it wasn't Moses that did it. 
God was using. If you look throughout the Old Testament, especially in Genesis, Genesis and Exodus, God used Moses' actions to bring the children of Israel out into victory, through victory, through areas. And so it was just Moses' obedience to God in those moments. But we see in the Old Testament where God said to Moses, do this, and he didn't have obedience. And what did Moses get from that disobedience? He didn't get to see the promised land. He got to stand outside and look into it. He never got to step foot into it. So this story is, is key of what did he say? The Lord is my what? My banner, my victory. Psalm 20, verses 4 through 6. I'm going to read some scriptures quickly, so if you can't keep up, sorry. Um, I don't have them for you to take with you, so we don't do handouts. Psalm 20, verse 4 through 6. May he grant you your heart's desire fulfill your plans. May he shout for joy over the salvation and the name of the Lord, excuse me, and the name of your God set up your banners. May the Lord fulfill your petitions. Now that I know the Lord saves his anointed, he will answer him from his holy heaven with the mighty saving of his right hand. So Moses said, what is it? God is my victory, my banner of victory. You know, we uh, in, the, in business world, they, uh, companies will say, we had a banner year, which means it was a great year. We, we blew all expectations out of the water. We did really good. In medieval times, um, this, was a, um, this was used to describe a people. So the 12 tribes, when they came out of Israel, how do you think they kept millions of people organized? They had to figure out where they were going to stay, where they were going to uh, follow, lead with, wherever. And so in those times, tribes had banners, just the way our country has an American flag. We know when that American flag is flown, this is American soil. Where when we come on into America, if somebody has an American flag in their front yard, you know what, who do they support? They support America. Hopefully. Um, yes. The banners were used to describe and identify a people. As Americans, what do we have? I see, you have an American flag on your coat right there. That's how we identify soldiers when they go into battle. They don't just go in with fatigues on and no patch. They go in with that patch and it, they represent that country. They represent who that country has sent them to be. So in medieval times, troops would ride out and they would have one person that would carry a banner and that banner would be 10 feet high and it would be a, a flag, a scroll, whatever. And it would have their um, identifying marker on that. And that's who they identified with. Okay, so the tribe of Judah, they would have their banner on that and they would walk into battle or ride into battle with that banner so they knew when that banner, where their, their fellow troops were. So when we look at it, medieval times, that banner was identify the house or the person they served, but then the king would ride out with his own banner ahead of them or higher than them. And so in in our lives, what is it? We, who do we serve? We serve God. We, ser we follow Jesus. He is our leader. He is our king. We follow him. And so when we look at that, we identify with his rule, his leadership, his kingship, 
and we identify as his people. We identify as his sons and daughters, as his um, followers, as his servants. God told Israel the same thing in Numbers 2. He said this, the people of Israel shall camp on each side by his own standard. He's talking about the, 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 the tabernacle. In Numbers, they didn't have the temple. They had the tabernacle, which was picked up, taken apart, and put back together wherever they stopped. They weren't picking it up every day and moving. So they would stop for a season, rebuild the tabernacle, put out the tent, and people would camp around it. And he says this, he says, where, oh, let me find it. There we go. All right, it says, each camp out by his own standard with the banner of their father's house. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. So think about this. You have this square here where I'm standing, and that was the, the, the tabernacle. And every tribe of Israel would camp around it facing the tabernacle because it was an, a thing of honor to, to honor the, where the presence of God was going to show up. But he says, identify with the flags of their fathers. So that means the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Joseph, the tribe of Benjamin. They all had to identify themselves. They would put that flag up and they knew where they needed to camp, where they needed to go. And it was probably great when you have millions of people out in the middle of the desert trying to get back to your, you know, if you're trying to do, go somewhere and you're like, okay, where am I? How do I get back there? And you can look up and say, this is the banner I have to go to. Like your kids, you always tell your kids, if you see that, you know, and if you go to the amusement park and you're like, okay, we're going to meet here. Look up. This is where we're going to meet. This under this spot. You, you tell them this is where we're going to meet. And so as the people living in the desert, they're probably telling their kids, look for the flag. This is our flag. If you're out playing, come back to the flag. And so they knew to identify and they knew to come into that area for their people. You know, we, we talk about banners, and that was basically, a banner for them was a, a vertical flag. A lot of times it was um, something that was very simple um, that could have um, their identifying marker on it, the name of their father, whatever it was, but they have it. It was like a family crest almost. You know, any of you ever gone online and they're like, this name, family crest, and you're like, looks the same as that one and that one and that one. Um, so they would have this crest or this, this banner that they could see and follow. So when they were in battle, they could go back to that, that spot to gather together after the, after the battle or during the battle if they needed to regroup. And then today we see a lot of that too. We see banners flying everywhere. We see our, our American flag flying. We see other countries. We got our friends in Canada, we've got Mexico. We see, we know their flags. You know the Michigan flag. We have, we have certain banners that identify us. Like we're Michiganders. That's a dumb name, but we are. And, um, but we have an identifying flag that identifies our state. But we see a lot of other banners out there. We see a lot of banners of pride, infant murder, racism, you know, these banners now come to us in the forms of flags flown where people live and work. They're saying, this is who I serve and this is who I bow down to. This is who I worship. They worship very pretty and colorful forms of Baal and Moloch. And they call it different things. They bow down to the gods of sexual perversion, abortion, Perversion, greed, vanity, pride, and the most famous, 
is the one of rebellion to Jesus Christ and his Father. Y'all went silent on that. What happens is, is this, is we've gotten so distracted by serving other gods and other forms of worship that we forget who the one true God is. We do it out of ignorance. We do it out of rebellion. We do it out of just not wanting to. But what happens is, is this, we've set up other false idols like they did in the, in the Old Testament. They couldn't wait a couple days for Moses to come back down from the mountain. They had to set up a golden calf to worship. We were watching a movie um, a couple days ago. We were watching Bruce Almighty. Anybody ever watch that movie? Yeah. Yes. Not exactly the best kids movie. I'll just let you know that. But there's this one scene and he's in this house and he's talking and he leans over and I, we didn't even re- recognize it at first. And then and Sarah pointed out, she goes, that's a golden calf. And there was a golden calf and he was leaning on the golden calf. And it made me start to think, I'm like, how, mu- how many of us are leaning on that and, and resting on that form of idolatry and we don't even realize it? We have enough people that are outwardly saying, I hate God, I hate the lives of unborn children, I hate anything like that. We need to say, okay, where am I leaning on? You know, and that, that, just that picture alone, I was like, holy cow. I'm like, that was just a very, well, it was just like looking at him. He didn't, he didn't even realize what he was doing. He was just leaning on it. And he was, he was leaning on the, 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 the idol of, a, of, a, um, of self-indulgence and, jealousy and pride and those different things and but it all comes down to selfishness look at the children of israel we need a god to worship so we can see him you know god leads them through the desert he's feeding them he's he's giving them heat and shelter and everything and they're like but we need to see him we need to have something tangible that we can throw our alms at and bow down before him Joshua 24, 15 says this, if you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve. Most people don't talk about that part of the scripture. They want the nice fancy part of it, which says this. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We don't, we don't talk about this part. He says, choose a God you'd rather serve and do it today. Choose one of the gods your ancestors worshipped from the country beyond the river or one of the gods, the Amorites, of whose land you're now living. But he says this, for me and my family, we will worship God. We have, we have enough idolatry in the world today. We don't need it in the church. We've set up idols in churches in the form of people. We've set up idols in the, in the churches in form of worship leaders and 
people of influence. And it's like, you know what? God has created every one of us to have influence in the body that we are part of. We have enough people bowing down to their bumper stickers. You, you look at a, you look at drive behind somebody in town and you see what they worship. You see what is more important to them. I'm, please don't, don't everybody go get a Jesus bumper sticker and put it on there. I'm just saying is that, yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why we don't have church bumper stickers because if any of you flip anybody off or really rude to somebody while you're driving, I don't want to come back on me. So I'm just saying. So behave yourself when you drive. Then I might get you a bumper sticker. Um, no, I'm just kidding. No. No, well, I'm not give you a bumper sticker. You know what's really sad is the, the most, the rudest people I've ever met when I'm driving are people with church bumper stickers on them. That is the saddest thing I've ever experienced. And they're, in, they're all local churches too. I'm just like, geez, I'm like, at least if you're going to be rude, don't do it in a local town where you're flashing your church's bumper sticker that's five minutes away. I'm like, come on. But we have, we have idols that we've set up in churches because, oh, they're just so much more important than the average person. Don't, don't get me wrong. God anoints people to lead and to, ha- to have a call to multiple um, generations in multiple areas, and they have influence. But what we've done is we've set them up to be, well, this person, you know, um, I was listening to somebody and they're like, well, my church is online. This is my pastor. I'm like, you've met this person one time and it was a meet and greet and hi, and you tune in online. What happens is, is this, we take men and we put them into the place of Jesus. Well, you know, this, this person said this and this person said this. No, we need to go back to the word of God and say, this is what Jesus said. This man just plagiarized what Jesus said. <laughs> he reworded what Jesus said to make it sound good so you would follow we become so focused on people instead of what the words that are coming out of their mouth. We become, we've set up idols in, church, in our churches, and I'm not talking golden calves sitting in the front where we bow down to worship, but we've set up these people in our hearts, in our minds, and what we've done is we said, well, this person preaches a good word, and this is, this is, this is who I follow. I don't see anywhere in Scripture that says anybody should follow anybody else but Jesus. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He doesn't say, I'm fo- you need to follow me because I follow Christ. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. That means he, Jesus is leading and we're all following behind him. We all have different levels to us. But Joshua was pretty blunt with those people. He said, you may not decide to worship God, but choose who you will worship. And I think in, in our time where in a moment's notice, I can pull up anybody's sermon in five seconds and watch it. This has become church and this has not become church. This has become, well, I like this because if I don't like what he has to say, I can swipe down and go to the next one I want to listen to. I'm pretty sure Sarah and I, when we speak, we probably don't tell you everything you want to hear. And if we do, slap us. Yes. Here's what happened is in our culture, we've set up people as celebrities. And when they fall and when they have mistakes and when they do something wrong, as normal humans do, 
we got all, oh my gosh, did you hear what happened? And then it turns into gossip for six months on the internet and between people about what has happened because we set them up as an idol in our lives. Don't get me wrong, there's people online that I love to listen to and they, have a, they, they encourage me when I listen to them. But you know, I don't put them on a pedestal and say, well, you know, they can't do any wrong because they are not Jesus. We worship Jesus. We do not worship man. We don't worship the idols that are there. And we have to look at the Scripture. And we look at Gideon. What did Gideon do? He was hiding, threshing wheat in a wine press. I mean, so he's down in the, under the ground, basically, and he's hiding in there. And they said, why are you hiding? Because I don't want people to come steal it. But what happens is God calls him out. What does he do? He go, goes up. Yes, he's not bold enough to do it in the day, but he goes up by night and he tears down the idols in his town. The idols that his own father was willing to worship. And he goes and he tears them down. And he basically says, I will, we will worship nobody but God. God is our God. Yeah. But in our, in our world today, we can see who people serve by what is on the back of their car, what's the stickers in their, in, on their windows of their home, the flags they're flying out. And we have to look and say, they did what Joshua asked them to do. If you're not going to serve God, at least pick a God you will serve, that you will bow down to. But that flag solidifies, this is my citizenship. This is who I kneel before. This is who I bow down to. Some of you guys bow down to the, the little salt, freshwater fish on the back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> on the back of your car. No, I'm kidding. Don't. I, I'm just joking. If you have that freshwater fish on the back of your car, it's okay. I still love you. But... but a lot of us don't even realize that we bow down to idols in our own lives because of hurt, selfishness, pain, whatever it is, we bow down to it and we have to start to say, God, show me where I've placed idols before you. Show me where I've, I've put, bowed my knee to something that has caused me to break relationship with you, that has caused me to stop having relationship with you. good. Sarah said that believers bow down to the idol of convenience. Well, it's convenient for me to sleep in and watch church online. It's convenient for me to not go because I'm tired. And we've started to bow down to that because, well, I want it to be about me. Look around everybody in this room. This is not about you. This is about Jesus. We are here for him. He gives to us when we, cut, when we show up to worship Him, He gives us something to receive from Him. But what we want is we want it to be great and we, wanna, we want recliners and we want you know, someone to serve us coffee and have padded chairs. Sorry, don't get padded chairs. We want something that's convenient. It's called armchair Christianity. I can sit back, I can flip the channel when I don't like what someone has to say and we'll continue. And then, oh, well, I agree. No, I don't... That hurt my feelings. Click. 
I don't like what they had to say, click, or just hit the mute button. But we have to stop bowing our knee to those things. I'm not saying we're bowing our knees to sin. I'm just saying is we're bowing our knee to things that we don't realize can become sin. Sometimes it's money. We, we, oh, I've got to work. I've got to work. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. I've got to, do, I've got to make, make money. I've got to make money. And it's like, are we bowing our knee to the almighty dollar? Yes, God wants us to have a good life, have a, a, a good living to take care of our family. But are we bowing ourselves to the, the idol of work? And every time there's an opportunity, I'm going to just work more, work more, work more. But what we're doing is we're sacrificing our family on that idol. We're saying my family is important, so I'm going to keep working, but I'm sacrificing the time and the, the character and the quality of my family upon that idol. When we bow our hearts to Jesus and make him Lord, he puts a banner over us saying, the, or excuse me, when we bow our knee to God, Jesus puts a banner over us, says, these are my brothers and my sisters. God says, these are my sons and my daughters. And we put, and we, in our submission to him, say, this is my Lord, this is my master, this is the one I serve. Nothing is more important than who we serve. You know, uh, what was, I don't know, last night we were, uh, we were laying in bed, getting ready to go to bed, and I, Sarah likes to flip through reels or whatever, I don't even know. And some of them are just like, one of them was, uh, who, who do you, who's most important in your life? And, and she, the woman was asking her husband, and she says, your mom, me, or the kids? And I was like, oh, he better answer that right. <laughs> he did answer it right. But it was, so, it, it was a scripted thing, but it was so like, well, you know, and I'm like, if you didn't answer that within like three seconds in normal, real life, <laughs> that woman would have had something and been smacking you with like, don't you say your mother. Um, <laughs> But what happens is, is this, is our priorities get out of whack. We want to provide for our family, so what do we do? We work hours and hours of overtime, or we take a, a, a better job, but we don't realize that what happens is we sacrifice things for that. One, one of the, the hardest things that we did in our marriage was we were not going to put our kids down on the, idol, or the altar of anything. Our family was first above all else. If over ministry, over our jobs, over anything. If there was something going on and we had to lay it down, we would lay it down immediately for our kids. Because we were not going to sacrifice them on the idol of a successful church, more money in our pocket, anything like that. We were not going to let other people put their values into our children. We were not going to let the world give them values So we said, you know what, we're going to lay ourselves down on the altar, of, the altar to Jesus and say, you guide us, you lead us, our lives are yours, you show us what is right. And there's been tough times, don't get me wrong, where it's like we could have taken better, we could have had more. And it's like, but you know what, God has shown us and given us peace through those times where we didn't have to sacrifice something of high value for something of quick material fading. An eternal relationship, an eternal relationship with my daughter, with her and God, is better than having 
a better paycheck. Knowing my kids will serve God and follow God and love God is better than a bigger house. But we are his children. We are God's children. And I think what happens is in our life, we forget to raise that banner. Because what happens is this, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. If you're afraid of offending someone, you need to reevaluate your relationship with God. And say, why am I afraid to offend someone with my testimony and who I believe in? You ever had that moment? You're like, well, I don't really want to tell people. I don't know if I should tell them I'm a Christian. It's like, we have to stop. I did that one time. God basically slapped me on the back of the head. Remember that slap on the back of the head? Guys, you get that from your dad every now and then? Yeah. Not these days. You like, you, you like this to your kids? Like, abuse! No. Um, I grew up in the 80s, man. Spankings and head smackings were normal back then. But, I'm like, stop it. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that, but anyway. But no, I think there, there's a time where God has to smack us and say, why are you ashamed of me? It, it, you know, we talk about um, Judas betraying Jesus. He really wasn't that bad compared to Peter. Peter denied him three times. Peter was so afraid to acknowledge Jesus Judas was, was able to acknowledge Jesus. Yeah, I, I follow him and I'm in his group. I'm willing to sell him. But Peter had denied him three times. What, I, do you, I, I really believe that Peter denied him three times. What did Jesus say to him when he came back? He said, do you love me? He said, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. He was reaffirming Peter's love for him because Peter laid down Jesus, the name, the banner that he was under for the, uh, with fear. He said, I, I, I surrender. I don't, I don't know the guy. I curse his name. I don't know who he is. But Jesus came back and said, I forgive you. Now I'm going to ask you three times, do you love me? He was confirming that he did love Peter, saying, I love you enough, but I want to know that you love me. So when we, we submit ourselves, when Peter submitted himself back to Jesus, said, yes, Lord, I love you. He gave Peter a charge. He said, go feed my sheep. So when we, when we subject ourselves to God, when we, we submit ourselves to God, Song of Solomon says this. It says, and this is just a, a quick blurb out of it. It doesn't, um, it's not the full thing, but it says, he brought me to the banqueting house. His banner over me was love. You guys remember that song as a kid? Oh, yeah. If you grew up in, uh, in church, yeah, I'm not going to sing the song. It's, yeah, I'm not good at that. But um, yeah, that song was, if, you know, that was the good uh, Baptist and uh, kids song back in the day. And that's the song you sang when you were a kid. And you never really understood it until you were an adult and started looking it up because it was like 400 scriptures all thrown together so you could sing it. And you're like, Wait, where's this in the Bible? And, you know, so until you studied it out. Um, but when we accept Christ, when we submit ourselves to Him, what is it? His banner over us is love. He brings us before, He brings us to a table before our enemies. His banner over us is love. He brings us into victory in, the front, of, in front of our enemies. He 
celebrates us and gives us love in front of our enemies. But we have, to, we have so many flags and banners of, you know, I, I, I find it ironic that the one flag that is flown so heavily today is called pride. And what does God call pride? Pride is a sin. It is rebellion against the Father God. It is rebellion against what He has designed and what He has created us to be. But the thing is, is this. We have a choice to be under what banner we, we want to be. It's our choice, but those other banners will be thrown down at the return of Jesus. They'll be tread underfoot at the name of Jesus. They'll try to fly that banner and it'll be knocked down. The moment he puts his foot back on the top of the mountain, he steps down, boom. Their arguments are gone. They have nothing to say. Philippians 2 Verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted and bestowed upon him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We can set up idols in our own life as the world sets up idols for them to not follow God. Like Joshua said, choose a God. If it's, not going to be, if it's not going to be Yahweh, choose a God. And we see that the world has chosen gods. But I think in our lives, and I know in our lives, that we have, we have chosen God, but we have to be mindful of not putting other gods before Him. It is, it, is, it is in the law. He says, do not put another God before me. And I think sometimes we have to do an evaluation and say, okay, Holy Spirit, Show me where I'm putting things in higher value than my king, my Lord. And say, what is causing me to not follow you, but causing me to stumble and to worship at the altar of fill in the blank. But the great thing is that there is repentance. There is forgiveness for ignorance. Sometimes our sin comes from ignorance. Sometimes our sin comes from rebellion. But there is repentance. I think the words of Joshua when he said, choose a God, the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. God is telling the children of Israel, you don't have to serve me. You have free will. But, if you're going to serve me, do it right. If you're going to pick another God, pick whatever God you want to serve. The gods of, your, of the river area, the people that are living in this area, you choose what you're, going to, what you're going to worship. But if you're going to follow me, worship me. Like Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, it's not where you worship, it's how you worship. And he said, one day, woman, it will be in spirit and in truth, not on the hill of this person or where this person was set up. So when we say, Father, show me the idols that I've placed before me. What golden calf have I leaned on not realizing 
what was there. But remember this, if we choose not to replace that idol with Jesus, it's not going to stand long. It's not going to bring what we think it's going to bring. But when we serve him, he says, these are my sons, these are my daughters, these are the ones whom I dearly love. And what does he do with that banner over us? He fights for us. He goes to battle for us. He supplies our needs. He loves us. He sent his son to die for us. So when we think about, okay, what am I, what am I doing in my life? What, what am I, who am I serving? And maybe you're not even serving God. Maybe it's like, oh, I know of God, but I don't know who he is. I've never met him. I've never experienced him. The great thing is, is that can happen like that. It says in Romans, call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's as simple as saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I've placed idols. We've all done it. We've all placed idols in front of him. Before we were saved, after we were saved, But he says, if you call on my name, you shall be saved. It's as simple as that saying, I, I'm getting rid of anything that I've leaned on, that I've put in place of you. Because he's the only one that's going to last. He's the only name that's going to last. People try to make substitutes for him, but he can't. The great thing about him is he came to earth for us so we could be with him. We don't have to, like every other religion, work hard, be good, be kind, be nice in order to be with him. Salvation is a free gift. We can't earn it. We just have to submit to him. And sometimes submitting to him can be tough but it's a learned quality. It's a learned trait that we learn to submit our wills to him. Just like he submitted himself to the Father. He said, it's not my will, but yours be done. It's not what I want, but you, what you want. And we have to do the same thing to Jesus. It's not what I want, it's what you want for me. Walking with him is so much better than walking on our, on our own. When we give ourselves to him, we now allow ourselves to be led by him prompted by him have this holy spirit come into our lives fill us empower us lead us guide us so when we cast down those idols and we break down those golden calves in our life watch how quickly things turn around watch how quickly you become more sensitive to who he is and to his leading So whose banner are you flying today? Whose banner are you bowing down to, submitting to, and kneeling to? Just like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, king says, bow down before this idol when the uh, trumpet blows. And they're like, we're good. 
We don't bow down to anybody but God. In our culture, it is you bow down to this, and you bow down to that, and you bow down to this, and you kneel in this, because that's what is right. But as Christians, we know we stand up, and we only kneel to Jesus, who is the coming King, our Savior, and the Lion of Judah. Let's pray.